at no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Welcome to our show today, folks. This is Doug Crow, the host of the Author Your Brand Show, and I've got way, way more than an author today. This gentleman is not only uh, an up-and-coming, best-selling author, he's a devoted father, he's a retired NFL player, stellar college career, he's broken records, he was a Heisman Trophy candidate, he is probably one of the most, uh, most respected dads I've ever met in my life. Welcome to the show today, Mr. George Jones. George, how are you? Good, Doug. Thanks for having me. Oh, my, my gosh. My honor. My sincere <laughs> honor. Um, so we're going to tell we're going to talk about your your history a little bit here and the fatherhood fatherhood mm -hmm. thing. But before we get into the details, your background, what you're doing now, give the listeners like a couple of things they're going to learn today that will make them want to stick around and listen to us next 20, 30 minutes. Well, I would say uh, they will learn. Um, how much of a devoted father and family man I am and that I pretty much dedicated my life uh, to being there, being present for my kids and my wife yeah. uh, and learn a little bit about my background and who helped me get to where I'm at today. Okay. And in terms of what people can do, like, you know, we're going to learn about you, but what can, what can we teach them today? Or like one or two key things they can learn about being a better dad. I would say uh, being present, mm -hmm. being present all the time, um, being authentic. Uh -huh. I would say being authentic, uh, talk to talk. If you're going to talk to talk, you walk it. And I would just say be a participant dad where right. you're always uh, participating, whether it's in sports or going up to your kid's school. I would say uh, those things. All right. So all these things sound like, well, of course, I'm going to be present. But as we'll find out in a minute, folks, it's not always a case. And especially in your case, George, um, it's especially interesting because your background is uh, you grew up without a father. That is correct. I grew up, yeah. I'm from Greenville, South Carolina. Yes, that is correct. I grew up without a father. Um, so most of my, uh, as I can remember, I've always uh, wanted to be a father because uh, I remember when I was young, I always wanted to say those three letters, dad, dad, dad. I never got the chance to do that. So now me having the opportunity to be a father myself is the greatest thing in the world. Without a dad, you know, a lot many people, well, too many people nowadays experience that. Um, I think it's around 40%. But I want to, I'm sort of curious about um, when you're growing up in Greenville, did you have other friends that had dads that you were like looking at going, I wish I had that? Or what was it about that, that made you even dream of it? Well, I would say in 1987, I met, uh, I met a guy named Nathan Broom and um, we became really good friends. And um, I went over to his house in 1987 for the first time and met his family, his uh, mom, Jackie, his dad, Monty, and his sister, Leah. And so wanting to have a dad and, and you know, have somebody to uh, role model after, I remember Monty, how he was with Lynn and Nate, how he was so calm, he was very respectful, he was helpful to them, and he was a, a good um, husband to Jackie, his wife, 
And, you know, growing up seeing that, I said, when I get my chance, I'm going to try to be a great dad like money is. And, and that's what I still try to do today. I've uh, got a lot of respect for money and money has helped me out quite a bit. I don't think I would be the father today without his guidance and his, um, he don't even know how much he's uh, helped me to become a good father. Uh, I think you might have a little clue. I don't know. You've got three wonderful boys there. I'm curious about when you're growing up, you uh, didn't have a dad, um, but how bad was it? I mean, did you grow up like in, in, in a bad area or what? Well, I grew up in a place, it was uh, Woola Homes. It was a uh, uh, projects in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. I mean, growing up there, I wouldn't say people outside would say it was bad. I didn't think it was bad because that's all we knew, you know, we, that's all we knew. And, you know, we did what you typically see on TV and, uh, you know, neighborhoods like the projects. We would run around, play a bunch of sports. You know, the, the water hydrants would be broken, um, you know, uh, drug selling, um, all of that stuff. So for me growing up, that was just everyday life. And it was nothing that it was. It wasn't, I, I wouldn't say it was hard to grow up like that, but it was, uh, it was different. So it was different when I would go over to Nate's house, it was, you know, it was like everything was much calmer. There were no uh, loud noises. There were no shootings and things of that nature. So it, it was, um, again, I wouldn't change it if uh, they would, if I could go back and change it because it has made me the person I am today. That's interesting perspective. Yeah, you, you grew up in, in what we call a rough neighborhood, but since you didn't have any other experience for a while, it was just normal for you, right? Yes, it was normal. I mean, and I enjoyed it because it, it helped me uh, develop some toughness about myself. Um, mm -hmm. It helped me become a better football player. Um, and that experience growing up like that, it made me want to get out of the circumstance I was in. It made me want to... Uh, do well so I can go to college and uh, possibly get a good job and, and, you know, make money to be able to live a better life. So mm -hmm. that environment, it only motivated me to become uh, the person I am today. And, and this is, this is the, the thing that I'm, I'm eternally curious about when I, when I listen to you and working on your book coming out, we'll talk about that in a minute and your foundation that you're setting up. We'll talk about that yeah. in a minute as well. But I'm really curious about this, this, this fork in the road where you've got challenges of growing up where you did, and it, it created a desire in you to do better and to get out. Whereas, I don't know what the percentage is, most people tend to stay and wallow in that, in that area because they don't, either they don't know better or they don't think better or they don't believe they can get out. What was the difference for you? Why did you feel like you could use football to get out of the, your situation well again it goes back to that's all we knew growing up you know our parents can pay for us to go to college so sports was the only avenue to go to college if you can be good in you know basketball or football you can go to college and i also think uh doug with meeting uh nate and the broom family and meeting money i think when i got around him um, he gave me a lot of confidence about myself. Um, I didn't really think I was a good football player growing up. 
You know, I uh, had doubts about my skills, but when I got around money and I met money, he saw something in me really, really early that uh, I didn't see in myself. So I'm not for sure if I didn't meet money, if I would have uh, had the desire or the uh, confidence about myself to get out of the situation I was in. So again, I got to credit money and Jackie Broom uh, for a lot of the uh, success that helping me get out of that bad situation that I was in and putting me in the uh, right direction and getting to the place in my life where I'm at today. That is that is a, um, a, a profound statement, George, because yeah, everyone has potential, but it sometimes takes someone else to help you realize that, yeah, you can, you can become great. We all have it in us, right? I mean, it's just a matter of someone telling oh, you. Believe in oh, it. yeah. I mean, it, it, it was funny, Doug, again, you know, this is a, a, a man, a, a, a white guy who from day one took a liking to me and treated me like I was his own blood son. Uh, and when I use that word authentic, he is authentic as they come. How he treated me in my face was how he treated me when I wasn't around. He was always um, very respectful. He always tried to make me feel comfortable, him and Jackie and Nate, as Nate is uh, my friend Nate and his uh, sister Liv, they all tried to uh, do a, um, they did a great job in making me feel wanted, feeling comfortable, feeling secure. And again, like I said, without that family, I, I'm not for sure I will be talking to you right now. You know, you mentioned, was Nate on your on your high school football team? Was he a player too? Or what? It, yes. So again, I met Nate in yeah. 1987 in the seventh grade. At that point, I had never played football with um, kids that didn't look like me. So going into the eighth grade, Nate and his dad and his mom uh, asked me to play for a team called Eastside Dolphins. And I told them I would play, but I couldn't afford, you know, to pay the, the money to play and to get all the equipment and things of that nature. And Monty and Jackie said, we'll take care of all that. If you want to play, we would love to have you. So getting that experience with playing with kids that didn't look like me, it opened up uh, a different avenue for me on how different type of talent was and, and getting along with people who didn't look like me. And so fast forward, going into the ninth grade, that propelled me to help me uh, get into the ninth grade and to get on varsity my uh, first year in high school and have the confidence about playing because, again, playing with the Eastside Dolphins and playing with other people who didn't look like me gave me a, a lot of confidence that I can do that. And also, uh, Nate and his dad, Monty and Jackie, also building my confidence up about myself, telling me, George, you got some talent. If you stick with what you're doing, you can be uh, a good football player and possibly go to college. So again, all that being around them, the confidence building and all that, it, it just meant the world to me. This sounds like the blindside movie, right? It's, yes, it, it's, it, it, it really it really was because uh, people don't know, like um, Monty and Jackie bought me my first car. They bought me a brown Oldsmobile. I mean, and, Love and I loved the car because I, you know, I never had a car in anything. So again, Monty and Jackie, uh, they basically took me in, took care of me financially, emotionally, spiritually. Again, they treated me like I was their own blood son. So 
I, I will always be indebted uh, to them and I can never pay them back. The only thing I can try to do for the rest of my life is to be a good father to my to our three boys, GJ, Max, and Cooper, and to be a good husband uh, to my wife, Katie, um, just like he was and is a good husband to Jackie and a good father to Nate and Liz. So that's that's what that's how I'm going to repay him by doing and being the best family man I possibly can. That that's so uh, heartwarming. You know, we we've, we've had a couple conversations before, so I know we may have talked about things, but this is yeah. new people listening watching this. So yeah. when you were uh, you know NFL, well, I'm going right to the NFL. We'll go right from high school. Past San Diego, I'm looking at the NFL stuff here. Yeah. Playing NFL, you're kind of a big deal, you know, finally making some money on your own, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but I want to go right to the fatherhood thing, right? Um, you know, athletes tend to have uh, their choice of of dating opportunities more so than us, us civilians. Mm -hmm. um, but you told me a very, very touching story that when you when your first son was born, you know, and he grabs that little finger, yes. Yes. It, was, it was like a new man was born there too, right? Oh yes, yes. Oh, and um, when GJ was first born on January twenty third, two thousand seven, I can remember him grabbing my finger and everything, and I and I whispered in his ear, and I told him, I said, I will always be for, I will always be here for you, GJ. I will always be here, no matter what, through thick and thin, through good and bad. I will always be here for you. And that day, Doug. That day that when my oldest son, who bears my name, was born, that's the day I became a man. I became a man that day. Because before that, you were... I was still a boy doing boy things and, you know, doing what typical athletes yeah. and typical people do uh -huh. that's in this, um, that play sports. Mm -hmm. But again, once GJ was born, I became a man that day because the responsibility that was thrust upon me and Katie, um, it was, I know it was big and I had to make sure that I was ready for it and that all that other stuff had to be put on the uh, back burner. So maybe you'll say this is Monty's influence, but I'm curious because, you know, you're not the only professional athlete to have a family, but you're, but you're, I think, you know, and maybe in the minority that like gets so focused on the family thing that they don't they don't look at all the distractions. What, what was it about you think in your life or your belief system that said, "I'm born. This is this is it now." Because again, not having a father, when I mean it's just like anything. When you don't have something and you get a chance to have it, you you crave it. So I knew once um, me and Katie had our first uh, child that I knew this is what I wanted. I, I, I wanted to be a father. I wanted to be there full time, all the time. I wanted to be there for everything he or she was going to be doing. So for me, I had uh, prepared myself mentally for this uh, as the days were coming near of his birth. So it was nothing that I shied away from. I relished the challenge and I wanted to uh, face this head on and I'm glad I did. I mean. Again, people say to me all the time about, you know, scoring a touchdown in the NFL, rushing for 100 yards and being drafted and this and that and knowing a bunch of famous people. That's cool and it's, you know, all fine and uh, good. But the greatest gift the good Lord has ever given me is to be a father 
to our three boys. That's the greatest gift I've, I've ever been given. The talent to play football and all that is secondary to this. So for me, uh, I, I love football and I enjoyed it, but it can never uh, touch being a father, in my opinion, to me. That That is amazing. So you've got three boys. Yes. Um, GJ and uh, Max and Cooper. Yes. Um, Tell us about the experience of being a father. At the first one, you know, okay, I'm reborn. I'm a new guy. Mm -hmm. and do you decide to become full-time dad at that point when the first one's born? Yeah, so right before uh, GJ was born, me and Katie, we talked on who was going to work and who would stay home. And so I got to give Katie a lot of credit. She knew how important this was to me to be a stay-at-home father. So she allowed me to be the one to stay home, and she worked full-time. And it was crazy, Doug. I remember um, we were living in San Diego and GJ were born and Katie gave birth and she stayed home for like the, you know, the typical three months uh, that she was allowed to. And Katie was working and in grad school all at the same time. So Katie would get up and, you know, pump all the milk for me for the day. She would leave and I wouldn't see her for like 14 hours. So um, I got to give Katie a lot of credit on allowing me to live out my dream of being a stay-at-home dad be, uh, because without her allowing me to be able to do this, this wouldn't be possible. So I have to give her a lot of credit for this. And um, to answer your second question, um, I thought having one kid was really hard. I can remember I never put GJ down because he was one of those kids, he would not sleep in the crib. He would sleep on me. And I can remember, and it's funny, Doug, I would um, I would have to use the bathroom really, really bad, but I was afraid to put GJ down while he was sleeping. So I would go into the bathroom and try to use the bathroom. And then I would end up using the bathroom all over my legs and things, things of that nature. Um, I wouldn't put him down because as soon as I put him down, he would wake back up and start crying. And yeah. I, Wanted, I just wanted to touch him and hold him like all the time. I mean, um, when while Katie was at work during that time, I would probably walk, walk him outside because San Diego had, you know, they got great weather year round. So I would walk him two, three hours a day, just walking with him and looking at him while he's sleeping and, and studying him. And then um, me and Katie made the decision to have our second son, have another son two years later, Max. Mm -hmm. Now, this is where life hits you and it, it becomes difficult. So when our son, uh, Max, was born on May 12, 2009, out here in Austin, Texas, we did not know that he had Down syndrome until he was born. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. You know, when, you know, your kid is born, you know, they let the mother hold and then they clean him and then they put him in this little roller thing to take him to the uh, heat room. And I can remember the two nurses, they were whispering under their breath about Max. And I remember when Gigi was born, they wasn't doing that. So I asked the, um, the nurse, you know, is something wrong, ma'am? And they said, well, Mr. Jones, we don't want to alarm you, but I think your son has Down syndrome. At the time, I didn't know what Down syndrome was. So I was like, um, well, he looks just like GJ. He looks, you know, normal. So they was like, well, 
you know, the doctor come in and talk to you. So, you know, I Googled um, Down syndrome and I, when I did it, I almost passed out. I knew right then and there, my life as a father was changed forever. You know, um, I remember the doctor telling us, telling me and Katie, and mind you, Katie is in the recovery room getting stitched up. She had no idea about this. So just think about it. I, we was on an emotional high for like 10 minutes and then a nosedive quickly. Um, I can remember looking at the phone and and looking at the pictures and what it was saying. And um, I, I didn't believe it and I didn't want to believe it. So when the doctor came in and, and talked to us and they said, you know, we want to uh, do blood tests to be 100% sure. So we end up coming home and I can remember um, throughout the whole time it was like 10 days. It was like agony, agony going through the 10 days because I, I prayed like hard that this that wasn't the case, but I knew deep down inside he this was the case. I remember I was at the gym and then Katie um, gave me the call. And that was that. And so then your life turns like that. And then now you got to fight. And that's what me and Katie did. It made us stronger as a family and everything. And I, I can say now Max will be 13 in, in May. I, at the time, it was really tough because I remember the first three years of his life, I pretty much, I probably cried 10 times a day. No lie, 10 times a day. Sure, sure. So then um, I had to pick myself up and say, you know what, George, you got to stop feeling bad for yourself. You mm -hmm. his father, you got to do right by him. And then from that point on, I, I be, you know, I had to do right by him and, and mm -hmm. I had to fight and I had to fight for him. And, and so from that point, um, I could now, you know, 13 years later, I could imagine life without Max because yeah. Max has given me something that I don't think I would have had not him being born, which is empathy. I don't think I would have had that had Max not been born. So, you know, they always say the good Lord don't give you anything you can't handle. Yeah. So me being a, um, you know, a former professional football player, I'm, my DNA, I'm built differently. So I, I wasn't going to quit. Uh, you know, I never quit in anything. So I was just going to stand up and fight and do right by Max and Katie. Uh, we just made the decision. We're going to do right and make sure that he lives the best possible life that he can live. And so we uh, during that time, we made the decision to try to have another son, another child. We didn't know it was going to be a boy because we did not want um GJ to have to um, raise Max by himself if something happened to me and Katie. Um, so we started trying to have another son, well, another, you know, another son, but there was complications because um, Katie had like some scar tissues, which was preventing, you know, all the necessary stuff to happen. So once she got that cleaned out and cleared, 
and we went back to uh, trying to conceive. We conceived on the first try. And the crazy thing, Doug, about it is GJ and Cooper were conceived on the same day, five years apart. Wow. That is correct. GJ and Cooper are supposed to have the same birthday. GJ was born on January the uh, 23rd. Cooper was born January the 17th. Uh -huh. The reason why Cooper's birthday is not on the 23rd because he was so big, he was 11 pounds. And they, had, they took him out early through C-section and uh -huh. that's why they don't have the same birthday. But they, was, they were both conceived five years apart at the exact same time. Same time. It's a magical, magical day for your you guys as a couple. You should definitely bet on some games then or something. Well, 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 Doug, I would say again during that pregnancy. Yeah, it, it, it was not a happy pregnancy. We were stressed out. I'm sure. Excuse me, the entire time because they told us the odds of having another son with Down syndrome were really high. Oh wow. Yes. We're How really right you too. Wow. Yeah. So we we both were stressing out throughout the whole time. And anytime we would go to an appointment and Katie would get something like, you know, something done. If a test come back, it was too high or something, we would think the worst. So the pregnancy was a, it was very stressful. It was more stressful on her because she was the one carrying Cooper. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't as stressful on me physically as it was for her. She had to deal with the physical stress and the mental stress on top of working and all that. So Katie was a tough cookie and being able to do that. So she's one of the toughest people I know. Um, I, you know, um, uh, so, um, but when Cooper was born, I remember the first thing I asked, I was like, does he have Down syndrome? Yeah, I, right. First thing. And they said, uh, no, sir. And you know, everything was good. And again, I, you know, we were only going to have two kids. Yeah. Yeah. Now, again, I cannot imagine life without Cooper. Yep. So the good Lord gave, gave me and Katie the three boys and mm -hmm. knew I probably needed Max in my life to be a better human being. Uh, I really believe that. I, yeah. I really believe yeah. that the good Lord did that. Um, to make me um, have more empathy for people uh, because I remember looking at other kids when I would mm -hmm. walk in like doctor's offices or hospitals or something like that. Yeah. If I saw a kid that looked like he had some type of condition, I would not look at them because I did not want to make the family feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So when, when Max was, when I, when we was going through that with Max, we had to cut all Matt's hair off. You know, we had to bick it with the you know, with clippers and cut it all bald because he he has alopecia real bad. So it attacks spots in his hair. So he will have bald spots. Okay. Yes. So we will cut all his hair off. And so when yeah. people looked at Max when he was really young, people looked and thought he probably had cancer. Oh geez, yeah. yeah. Was off. And so for me, that there was some growth in in that as a human being for me because I, I used to get very frustrated when people used to like stare at us when I would walk with them. Yeah. So as time went by, I learned to ignore it and just focus on Max. 
So again, I think um, having Max um, in our life, the good Lord knew I probably needed that as a, as a man and as a father. And so I try not to question, you know, I questioned a long time when Max was first born, you know, to God, like, why did you do this to us? Yeah. You know, I, 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 I tried to, I try to be a good person, a good human being. And this happens and you know, other people who, who treat people bad and do bad stuff seem to like have all the kids and the kids are typical and everything. And, yeah. um, it just, it made me really angry for quite a while. And so I learned to get over that and, um, and believe that the good Lord did this for a reason. And, you know, and I learned to accept it. And now, you know, we are thriving as a family, you know, Katie, you know, is the best at what she does Mm -hmm. Uh, being a CEO of the national domestic violence hotline. So Mm -hmm. I, I tell um, our three boys all the time, especially GJ and Cooper about how, how great their mom is at what she does. And I try to do it in like football terms. I would sit here and say, your mom is a franchise player. She's like a mm-hmm. slash Patrick Mahomes. And mm-hmm. I'm just a role player in the NFL. That's the difference of how good your mom is at her job. Because I want them to, to understand the great role that their mom plays in their life. That, yeah. that she has a very important job and that when they get into their own relationships to make sure that they be very supportive of their mm-hmm. own, um, you know, girlfriend, spouse, you yep. know, say whatever it be. So, and I try to do the best I can by modeling that and supporting Katie and letting them know that it is okay that the woman can be the best in the family. Of course. Yeah. It's okay. But a lot, but that's, in a lot of um, relationships and a lot of households, I'm telling you, Doug, men do not want to be the guy that's not the breadwinner or the star. Like for me, I've never had that problem yep. with Katie being a star. I, I relish it. I love it to be mm-hmm. married to somebody who's that great at what she does. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm very secure in myself on what I'm doing as a father. Mm-hmm. So, if I probably had some insecurities about who I was as a person, I probably would not be able to handle the uh, the the spotlight and the uh, the great the great things that Katie's doing. Yeah. But um, I support her one hundred percent, and I'm so proud of her for you know all the great work that she's doing around the country mm-hmm. with domestic violence. Um, again, yeah. she's, she's the best, she's the best at what she does. And absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, we had, her, we had her on the show, we had her on the, yeah. on the show a few months ago and she is, she is brilliant. Yeah. The, um, and the, the thing you're reminding me of is like this thing about, you know, alpha males, right? Here yeah. you are, former jock, alpha male. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to breadwinner. I'm the pinnacle woman's just being a woman to support me. And I'm like, I call those guys false alphas. Yes. You're a true alpha because only a true alpha can live with and support an alpha female. Yes. Because yes. most people think it's a hierarchy. It's got to be a pinnacle, one leader, and then da-da. no, you guys are yoked, right? So no, we're yeah. both alphas in our own right. 
Yes. And that, that you are, you have more, um, you're more masculine and a better leader than the guys who need to have somebody underneath them versus side by side. Well, I, I appreciate the kind words, Doug. Uh, again, I try to, again, I try to do my best to be um, a great example for, you know, GJ, Max and Cooper, but for the most part, GJ and Cooper, you know, Max, you know, he can understand some of the things, but he can't. So I'm trying to, um, you know, live my life as as um, best as I can and try to be the best example of a good husband and try to treat Katie the way uh, I'm that she is supposed to be treated so they can see when they someday get their own, you know, wife or fiance, I'm trying to model uh, good behavior and being respectful of Katie and loving her and telling her I love her um, and, you know, being affectionate around her. Sometimes I have a hard time with doing that, being affectionate um, with her in front of the kids because, um, you know, my oldest son, GJ, gives me a hard time about that. Um, but I'm trying to uh, be a good role model for them in the sense of um, making sure I do right by their mother in front of them and let them know that um, the love that I have for her over these 26 years has uh, just grown. I mean, I'm, uh, I tell Katie all the time, I'm more attracted to Katie now than I was when I first met her. And most people probably wouldn't understand that, you know, because we're older now, but she, for me, I just think everything that she does and, you know, that she stands for, that's attractive to me in itself that um, the, the, um, the good things that she's doing um, in the world, especially for domestic violence. I, I'm just so, I, I'm proud to be her husband because I tell her and I tell GJ and Cooper all the time that I'm the lucky one out of the family to have Katie because Katie could get a thousand other guys, but she chose me. So I'm, I'm the lucky one. Well, you're, you're both lucky for sure because you both have amazing qualities and I can't imagine those three boys having better parents, you know, I appreciate so it. that's, that's appreciate so true. Which brings me to my other two questions here on um, okay. you're uh, you're got a book coming out called yes. the, Present, the Present Dad. Yes. And um, I know it's a lot about a lot about your story and whatnot. And you're also going to help people become better fathers or become a um, better future father, whatever it is. Yes. What was the um, what was the impetus for writing this? What, why, why did this come to mind or how? Well, um, I would say. Mm, I would say probably about five years ago, I, I, I didn't think I was doing a good job as a father. Again, I again I try to be honest about all this with um, GJ and whoever would listen. I saw this show called The Book of Manny, and I watched it, and it talked about Archie Manny and his family with his wife Olivia his three sons, Cooper, Peyton, and Eli Manning. I watched the show and it brought me to tears. It brought some feelings out of me that I didn't know that I even had. So 
I said, you know what, maybe something I'm just not feeling right today. I'm gonna watch it again tomorrow. I watched the show again. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm just bawling. Man, what is wrong with me? I, I didn't feel that when I watched that, I just felt like after watching that, I'm not doing a good job as a father um, to our to my to our three boys. So I reached out um, to Archie to Peyton and asked, "Can I um, talk to your dad?" So he got he got in contact with me, Archie, and I was full transparent with him, and I told him, you know, all the things that I do as a father on off the field and in the sports world and you know training and coaching my kids he you know he listened to everything i said and he gave me some things on how he did with peyton and cooper and eli and so all the little things that he told me i tried to implement them into my everyday life with gj max and cooper and i found by implementing those tools my closeness with especially my oldest son gj it went from like one to a thousand and um after learning and you know getting those tools from him and talking to other guys like eric dickerson and and, and uh, emmett smith and Dion sanders about fatherhood i said man i think i should write a book because i'm sure there are other dads out there in the world like me who may not feel like they're doing a good enough job and they can use some help so i i'm trying to help as many fathers as i can by not in the sense of saying that you gotta find a archie or Peyton manning or dion or somebody like that if you find like a neighbor who you perceive to be a good father don't you know feel like you can't go and ask anybody, you know, what are you doing right? Can you uh, tell me, you know, why you and your son or daughter have such a great relationship? What are the things you're doing with, with them? Because, you know, Doug, as men, we have a hard time admitting that we're not, that we're not good at something. And I think the two things um, that most men have um, that they can't admit to being good at as being probably a parent and a spouse most guys don't ever admit that they're not doing right and that they need help because of i think the ego in most men so for me i just felt you know and had a bunch of uh, humbleness about myself and i said i would reach out to anybody that would allow me to talk to them to get any type of advice to help me be a better father and a you know a better husband uh, because every day in life i'm trying to be that you know the best i want to be considered in my mind in in my kids mind and in, in katie's mind i want to be a hall of fame dad and a hall of fame father not not father, not dad but uh hall of fame dad but a hall of fame husband as well um so I, i'm going to always you know search and get answers and try to better myself as a father and a husband i'm never going to be too proud to ask anybody for help maybe the person may not help me but at least you know i gave an effort and i'm writing this book 
to help people that they um, shouldn't feel like they're out there alone with um, the feelings that they may not think they're doing a good job with their kids. And I just think if uh, everybody give a little bit more effort in what they're doing and being present, I think we can, you know, bend that curve of, you know, uh, fatherless homes and, you know, try to have uh, more fathers be involved with their kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a big one. I know we've done some research on that. It's, 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 you know, you'd like to look at juvenile delinquency, drug abuse, pregnancy, runaways. The, the vast majority of those issues are all connected mm -hmm. to kids being raised without a dad. So yes. your message is not just better fathers. It's let's cure a lot of ills of society by focusing on the, the core issue. Let's not treat the symptoms. Let's treat the disease. Let's get families, yes. families again. I, I, I think, Doug, mm -hmm. I can, you know, harbor back to my own uh, childhood and the things that I made mistakes on and the things I made mistakes in, you know, high school and college and as an adult. I think if I would have had a dad or, you know, a, a dad around to be able to talk to, I don't think I would have made a lot of those mistakes. Now, you know, looking back on that, I wouldn't change those mistakes that I made because it has made me a better father to GJ Max and Cooper. Uh, so they don't make those mistakes that I made. So I, my whole job is I want to be present and be here for our boys. I mean, for me, um, you know, I can, you know, go through like with my oldest son, GJ, when I take him to school every day, Doug, I mean, it's like the greatest feeling. You know, my son is in the ninth grade, our son GJ is in the ninth grade and driving him to school every day and just talking to him about just everything about life, how he's feeling, you know, his emotions is, are you, is anything bothering you? You know, I'm, I tried to tell him I'm here all the time for you. I'm here to try to alleviate some of the stresses of being a young teenager. And I tell Gigi, all I want you to be is a good brother, a good son, do well in school, be good in society, train hard for whatever sports you, you're doing at the time and just enjoy life. You don't need to worry about all the stresses of, of a, what adults have to go through. That's my job to take and alleviate you from that because you're going to be an adult someday. And so hopefully all the things that I'm going through with him, GJ picks up and learns from it. So when he has his son or daughter, that he can repeat this and even make it better when he becomes a parent. So for me, I just love the time, you know, with talking to the boys um, with just about everything in life and um, telling them how much I love them and telling them um, how proud I am of them and the things that they're doing and that I'm always here, um, you know, um, like with, um, I've, I've learned to, especially um, with GJ, to have him to um, tell me more about his feelings if I um, do something to upset him. I tell him all the time, GJ, if I do something to upset you or say something that you didn't like, I want you to be honest with me so we can correct it and learn from it. And um, we have been doing, he's been doing a good job of telling me 
when I'm um, have hurt his feelings and Cooper as well. Um, so, I mean, it's still a learning process. Every day I'm learning something new. Um, me and Katie were being uh, parents to our three boys. So it's a, it's a learning process and you're never gonna master it because there's no book out there for being a good mom or a good dad or a good parent. You're always learning by trial and error. And I think if you give um, effort and you're present, I think most of us over time, excuse me, can learn to be uh, great parents. Well, there is one book coming out and being a good parent or a good dad at least coming out called The Present Dad. Yes. And uh, people can uh, get pre-order those copies before June of 2022. It's available online at thepresentdad.com. You can reserve your copy there. And we've got a, also a course coming out for people to uh, do some training modules where they actually go through and George discusses each of these chapters and how to be not just a present dad, but a better one. And we need a lot more of those in our world. Thank you very much, George. I appreciate that. Um, that's all the time we have for today. Go ahead, finish up. We got and go also ahead. the foundation. Yes, yes, we've got a, a foundation that's also connected to the book because we're not just doing the book, we're actually going to be doing a whole lot more with curriculums, with events, retreats to help young men get themselves primed and ready for becoming a dad in their future self. So we've talked more about that. We'll have you on the show again when that uh, rolls out very soon. But it's all the information is on the website for now for about the book and the foundation at thepresentdad.com. Yes. George, you are um, one of my one of my mentors, man. I appreciate you so much. Appreciate your time. And uh, we'll see you again real soon. Doug, I appreciate you having me on. And yeah. um, again, I, I just love talking about being a dad. It, it's the greatest feeling. So I appreciate you allowing me to come on to your podcast and yeah. let the world know what I'm doing and uh, what I'm about. So I, I'm, uh, I appreciate it. We're giving more power to you. All right. Thank you so much. That concludes our show for today on uh, the Author Brand Show, upcoming author, George Jones. Make sure you check out that book. Link is below for his website and book and a link to his foundation. And, of course, subscribe to our channel. Get you some free goodies as well. So please do that. Until next time, this is Doug Crow.